Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Hey, Hope, how you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. I was just looking at that picture that Don picked out there, and it's, it looks like I escaped from a Cabela's. Uh, which is a good thing. Uh, it's really a good thing. Hey, uh, I'm really, I'm really, I'm honored to be here. Um, Don uh, Smith, uh, your executive, one of your executive team here. Uh, we go back, gosh, like 24, 25 years. I, th- I think he mentioned earlier, like when we both had hair. And uh, uh, we we've done. Uh, we were in Kentucky together. Uh, he was my intern for a while. He did college ministry together. Uh, we did youth conferences together. Uh, then he got involved. I don't know with this nation, nationwide church planning organization called Exponential, which is amazing. And then he invited me to come. And then they fired me. Uh, thanks, Don, for that. Um, but uh, no hard feelings there. No, I, I, uh, I, I love Don. He's a, I, I, if you don't know Don very well, uh, you need to get to know him well. He's, he's one of the most visionary people I've ever known. He's a pastor. He's a friend. He's a leader. I've tried to hire him like three times, and he just won't listen to the Holy Spirit. He's disobedient <laughs> to God. And uh, I tried to hire half the band backstage, too, so uh, they're fair game. But um, Don, Don asked me several times over the last several years uh, to come out to Hope and, and, and speak, and there's always been this conflict. Most recently, I was just um, on a six-month sabbatical, which wrapped up about a year ago. We'll talk about that in a minute. But when Don reached out to me and mentioned Mike was on sabbatical, um, my, my heart immediately came, to, came this direction. Uh, be, because I remember so many of my pastor friends and leaders across the country, they stepped in to fill in for me so I could get some rest and so I could get some healing in my life, and I got it. So it's an honor to be here with you. I just feel this connection with, with hope, especially to speak about this series that you all are in, this Big God, Big Church series. I, I, um, I gotta be honest with you. I, uh, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with the church. And if that makes you cry, pray through it. You'll be fine. And here's, here's what I mean is I'm, I'm like third-generation pastor. My grandpa is a pastor. My dad is a pastor. They're both in heaven now. My son was ordained last year as a, as a pastor. So, so I, 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 my mom was the church organist, okay? I was in the womb, in church, okay, so I've been to church. Church has been the best part of my life. Um, it's also been the most painful part of my life. And if you have any experience with church, both of those can happen in this thing called church. I still believe in the church, though. I believe that the church is God's plan A for reaching the world, and there's not a plan B. So as messy as the church can be, and maybe you've gone to other churches, and maybe, uh, maybe you're even feeling some stuff right now with Mike being on sabbatical, listen, um, the church is, is, is Christ's plan, and I don't ever wanna give up on the church. I don't wanna abandon the church. Um, even if it's messy, Jesus has never abandoned me, and I'm rather messy. And, and we can have lunch later, and we can talk about that. But co- coming back from sabbatical, and I, again, I, I don't know all the background about here, so if I step on something I'm not supposed to, just I'm, I don't mean to do that. I, I came back from my sabbatical, six-month sabbatical, um, with some learnings. I'd even call them convictions. The first one is this, and I think it's the most important thing, is that at the end of the day, it's just me and Robin, my wife. It's just us. And it's supposed to be that way. It's me, Robin, and Jesus. 
Um, and everybody else in my life, including the church, is way down the line in terms of who gets my time, my priority, and attention. I messed that up for a long time. And Robin, Jesus and Robin are my, my life now. Second is that the church and ministry, it's no longer my identity. And some of you can fill in the blank with your job. Mine was church. It's no longer my, my identity and my worth, my peace do not ebb and flow depending upon how the church is doing, if the noses and nickels are all there. You know what I mean by that? And we'll talk about that more here in a minute. So I, I, was, I, was, I was writing a different version of this talk from my home church, Flatirons. And if you don't know what a Flatirons is, it's a stake. And uh, uh, it's also a mountain range in Colorado. I didn't know what it was until I moved there. But um, I knew, because I, I taught something similar to this back in the fall. I knew what I wanted to share and teach them. And, I, and then when Don invited me out here, I knew what I wanted to, to, to share with you. And back then and tonight, I want to use a word. I'm under conviction. Uh, like I'm compelled by God to say what I'm about to say. And the weird thing is whenever I hear somebody say, you know, like the Lord told me to say, my, my immediate reaction is I don't believe you. I, I don't believe, you know, like I think it's just like, I think people are playing that, that, that card a lot of times, the Lord told me. Have you ever had anybody come up to you and go, the Lord wanted me to tell you this, and I don't know if the Lord told them or not. I just think they wanna get something off their chest with you, all right? But it's like you can't argue with that. Don't blame me, it was the Lord. And so in the back of my mind, when I said that, the Lord told me to say, I hesitated because I don't, I hope it was the Lord. Could have been last night's burrito. I don't know, you know, but because here in the Old Testament, if you say it's the Lord, it wasn't the Lord, the Lord killed you. So it's a lot of responsibility when you say the Lord, all right? Maybe I just need better meds, 72 milligrams a day. Uh, anyway, but, but about, <laughs> you think I'm kidding, I'm not. Uh, so, uh, so about five, <laughs> if that offends you, I'm, there's so much more to come that's more offensive, uh, but about five minutes into that talk and and I already know it's here, I've been talking to Don and some of the staff around here. I was reminded once again, God doesn't do anything in isolation. Have you noticed that? And again, apparently there are a lot of the people at Flatirons and I think happening in this, at the, at this church as well. Um, I don't believe it's isolated to one, one pastor in a church in another state. Maybe you sense it too. I think God's up to something. And I think he's using COVID to do it. I don't think God's in heaven wringing his hands going, I didn't see this coming. I don't think he's worried, freaking out, going, I had a plan, and then COVID shot it all to heck. I don't think that, all right? So uh, <laughs> there's a, here's the other part about this. I think there's some of us going, I, I wanna be a part of that. I'm in, like hands in the middle. I wanna be a part of what God's doing. So let's go to war together. In North Carolina, Colorado, let's throw out any and everything that might get in the way, and let's just go after being the people of God again. Wouldn't that be nice? Just for the people who are called by the name, by his name, let's just go after Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if the church just went after Jesus just, you know, we, we didn't fight with people. We just went after more of his presence and more of his love and more of his spirit and more of his power and more of his mercy, believing that as, he do, as, as we do that, he will keep his promise to forgive and heal all that needs to be healed and forgiven. Wouldn't that be great? Individually, in our families and in, in, in our church, and then maybe even like this whole city and maybe this nation. This nation needs healing, don't you think? I don't think it's a Colorado thing. That's what my point is. I think it's a hope thing also. So I threw this out to Flatirons and see if you can relate to this. And it's, it's our tendency that all too often we keep asking God to fix our problems. Anybody pray this week that God would, God, would you fix a problem for me, all right? I do that all the time, right? Hey, God, can you fix my problem? Can you fix COVID? Please, God, all right? Will you, f will you fix politics? Good luck, God. All right, fix. Can you fix racism? Can you fix what they are doing wrong out, out there? And again, we aren't, I'm not, anyway, short on giving God advice on how he ought to fix them and when he, when he needs to get them fixed by. 
Tuesday would be great, right? God, do it this way by then. I keep asking God to get involved and come in my direction, but see if you can relate to this. Rarely do, do we ask God, where in my life do I need to come in your direction, right? Before I ask you to do anything out there, first God, what do you want and need to do in here? That's my, that, that needs to be my first prayer. See, any time something needs fixed or healed out there, God doesn't start out there. He starts in here. He starts with his own people. So here, here's the verse that I want us to center our thoughts around today. If you have a Bible with you or, or read this later, it's gonna be on the screens here. It comes from a really old part of the Bible, an old book of the Bible called Second Chronicles. And a chronicle, if you're not real familiar with the Bible, is simply the biography or the story of the journey of a people or a group like going through something, that's a chronicle, right? And here's what we find in Second Chronicles, and this is God talking, and he says this, he says, if my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, remember who God's talking to here? He's talking to his people, his, his, his people, he's actually answering. Solomon, who's one of the kings of Israel, like the second, third, third king of Israel, he, he just built a temple, and then just before they dedicate the temple, he looks at God and goes, if we jack everything up again, again, and we get taken into slavery off in another country, and we're in prison over there, or, or if, I don't know, it stops raining, and we're, and we're really, really, really hungry, all right? Even though we've just messed up everything, our question is, God, if we were to look back in your direction and come back in your direction, would you still take us back? Anybody prayed a prayer like that? Yeah, of course, I, I have anyway. He's talking to his people who are called by his name. He's not talking to, or at least he's not starting with the world. He's not talking to people who are not called by his name. He's talking to us. He's talking to, I wanna talk to people who, who claim the name of Jesus. And at the end of the verse, we find a great promise from God to, to us, to his people. He promises to not, not just forgive our sin and our mistakes. That's a lot. If that's all God did in our life was just forgive our sin and get us out of hell, that, that would be a lot in itself, but he doesn't stop there. He says, listen, he also promises to heal up our land, our nation. In other words, God promises that everything, all the parts of our life can get better. Our own individual lives, our, our marriages, our families, our friendships, our relationships, this church, the places we work, the places we go to school, our neighborhoods, our teams, right? All the way up to our whole country. Can, can get better, and all that sounds good, and it is, isn't it? It'd be good if God did that, it'd be great, right? But what we tend to, to miss or skip over is that there's some conditions on his people, on us, for that forgiveness and healing to come in our direction. And when I say conditions, I'm not forgetting about grace. I'm not talking about having our sins forgiven and, getting, and going to heaven. Anything I say today, I'm just taking for granted, you put your faith in Jesus and, we, and, and your sins are forgiven, you're going to heaven. Can we put that over here? I wanna talk about a changed life. This side of your funeral. All right, we're all going to heaven if you put your faith in Jesus, all right? You're saved and forgiven. I wanna talk about, some, I wanna talk about healing this life, not forgetting about grace. But even when I say that grace is a free gift, the Bible says that, even grace is, now listen to this whole thing or you'll pack up your Bible and go home. To, listen to the whole thing, right? Even grace is conditional on some level of faith. Do you understand what I'm saying there? 
turning our face toward and trusting the one person who can offer forgiveness and healing and then moving in his direction. He meets us there and, and he does what only he can do. But we have to be in a, listen to this, all right? We have to be in a position to receive grace. He doesn't just headlock us and shove grace down our throat, right? We have to, we have to be open. We have to be in a position to, to receive it. He will pursue us. He won't force us. Forgiveness and healing are available to everybody, but not everybody will receive it. So if you want it, I'm not just talking about forgiving, saving grace. I'm talking about healing grace. Then lean into this. Again, let's look, at, let's look back at this, uh, these verses again about what it looks like to move in God's direction. First, Second Chronicles chapter seven, it says this. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I don't know how you do it here at Hope. Here's how we take notes at Flatirons. Most churches say, turn your phone off, put it in your purse and get it away. Okay, we don't do that. Get your freaking phone out, right? And take pictures of the screen for two reasons. One is so you can remember it and two, so you won't misquote me online. You know who you are. All right, so happens all the time. So really, just um, there's gonna be a lot of stuff up here. You're gonna go, ah, what did he say? Or what, right? So you'll remember it. So just take pictures of the screen. So, so, so God starts with if, if my people. If my people meet certain conditions, then the result will be forgiveness and healing. So what are the ifs that God is requiring of us as people? So let's kind of break it down, okay? If my people will, here we go, one, humble themselves, and two, pray, and three, what is it? Seek my face, come on kids, all right, and, and four, turn from their wicked ways, then, one, two, three, four, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, that's a lot, and it would take weeks and weeks and weeks to unpack all of that, because it's really good, good stuff, and, but, but look at it closely. Well, it looks like there are four conditions there. If you look at them closely, the second one is conditional on the first one, and the fourth one is conditional on the third one. Are you following me? Here's what I mean by that. In other words, number two, prayer, is a wasted activity if it doesn't come from a place of number one, humility. See, only a humble person can offer a sincere prayer because only when we are humble can we be convinced of our own helplessness and how we're totally dependent upon God. See, there are numerous places in the Bible, this is gonna pop some Jesus bubbles for you, but there, there are places in the Bible where God says, you know, you stretch out your hands and pray, you sing songs to me, your hands have blood on them, your arrogant hearts are wrong, when you pray, I won't listen to you. You didn't hear that in Sunday school as a kid, did you? I won't listen. I won't. I, I, can you see God's going? La, 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 la. Mm, I can't hear you. Right, right. Was again. That's not how I thought about God. I know, but why? Why would a person ever consider number four, turning from or letting go of sin, until you're convinced of something better to take hold of, which would be number three, the face of Jesus? I'm not gonna let go of sin unless you can show me something better than, because I like my sin. Don't raise your hand, you do too. Or you wouldn't do it. I'm gonna turn from it if you show me something better and that would be, be Jesus, all right? Now, let's just look at this. I just wanna look at this today, okay? I wanna look at that, that first and humble themselves. And again, themselves is in the plural, so all you literature, you know, Language people, right? It's in the plural. But here's it. Even if you're thinking, well, I don't do that. I'm not guilty of that. She is over there. But, but listen, the church has to start thinking we. We have to start thinking we. Not just what do I do, but what do we 
his people, his church, need to do to move back. You might have done it, but we've gotta figure it out. Does that make sense? Because we're the church. So let's look at humble themselves, all right? First, let me call out the obvious. No one can make you humble. No one can make you be humble. Others may try to humiliate you, but that'll just make you mad or ashamed, right, or resentful. Only we can humble ourselves. All the commands about humility are humble yourself. God's not gonna do it. You have to make a decision. In Philippians chapter two, probably one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, we see Jesus as the greatest example of choosing to humble himself. He didn't have to do it, he made a choice. And then he gives a directive, I want you to think like this. Philippians chapter two, look at this, it says, have this mind, think like this, among yourselves, God's people, which is yours in Christ. You get to think like Christ when he's in you, right? Who though Christ was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he, what's the word? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So one of the conditions for God hearing and responding to our prayers, forgiving what needs to be forgiven and healing what needs to be, forgive, needs to be healed, is his people must humble themselves. And then right here we see what the definition of humbling oneself looks like in Jesus. So this is the note taking part, right? Jesus, here's what it just says, all right? Jesus, first of all, he let go of and emptied himself of his former power position. That's a power position. I don't know if you're a CEO of a com company. He was God. He wins, right? He let, I'm gonna let go of that. I was equal to God. I'm gonna let go of that. Second thing is he took on the new form of a human servant, which I can't think of any more distance than that. And the third thing is he chose to obey God to do what needed to be done without any limitations. Let me sum all that up. Jesus chose to let go of the past that had been his life up to that point. Eternity, he'd been equal with God. And he let go of his past. Not because his past was bad. Not, he let go of the past. Not because his past was bad, but because a better future couldn't be accomplished by holding on to the past. Something had to change. Follow me? Y'all have masks on, so you have to nod at me or something, all right? So, Second thing is Jesus chose to take hold of something new. So he let go of something. He took hold of something new and unexpected by taking the form or the posture of a servant. And honestly, for the record, if everything is all screwed up in your life or your company, your organization, right, and you want it to get better, this does not sound like a good strategy. This is not what you covered in board meetings this week. We should power down. No, 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 you power up. You power up, if you wanna get things done, you power up, that's what Jesus did. And for the record, as Jesus did what his father told him to do, all along the way, there was no shortage of voices in Jesus' ear going, Jesus, this is a bad plan, power up. Throw the Jesus card. Threaten him with lightning and angels, you know? Get him in line, don't power down, power up and make it happen. And Jesus said no. Third thing is Jesus chose to obey what and where God was leading and directing him with no limitations or conditions. See, the opposite of obedience is control. We're gonna get to that in a minute. See, when you obey, you're agreeing to give someone or something else authority over you. This doesn't even feel like an American. We wanna run everything. So let's take all that, if you got lost in it there, wake your neighbor up. Here's the definition of humble yourselves. Don't wanna don't want play off the rest of the day, okay? Humble yourselves. The obedient choice to let go of the past in order to take hold of something new and better in the future. See that? We're gonna read that off the screen together so it just goes from one part of our brain to the other. One, two, three. The obedient choice to let go of the past 
in order to take hold of something new and better in the future. So going back to what are the conditions that God requires from his people who are called by his name, that'd be us. What, what is the direction that God is telling us to come in, to put ourselves in, in, a, in a posture to receive grace and forgiveness and healing? And the first step in God's direction is this. We come to God, we pray, we worship with a mindset of obediently choosing to let go of the past. That's all we know, by the way. In order to allow him to do something new and better in the future, and we have no idea what that is. So let me ask some questions around this, all right? And because logically, all, listen, if you've been to church more than a year or so, that make, all that makes sense. Most of us would say, yeah, I want that. Right, you're thinking this right now, I want that. I, I want God to do something new and fresh in my life. If I had you raise your hand, I would really love God to do something fresh and new in my life. I, me too. So why would m- most of us, and if I'm not talking to you, that's great, but why is it that most of us would say, it doesn't feel like God has done much in my life? let alone anything new, in a long time. We just feel stuck. Like this is, this is it, this is as good as it is. It's just more of this, till we get to heaven anyway. So let me throw something out for us to think about and see if anything sticks, all right? If the price of the new is laying down or letting go of the old, is it possible that the reason that we're stuck is because while something new from God sounds good, We're not willing to let go of what we've experienced and known in the past in order to risk taking hold of something in the future that we've never known because it's scary and it feels risky and so we're stuck in the middle. Which means if I'm stuck, I can't reach out. My hands are full of this. Paul said it like this. He said, for, see if you feel like this, for I do not do the good I want to do. I mean, I do. I got out of bed and said, I'm going to do something good today, right? But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Anybody else feel like that? Because that's the definition of stuck. So we have this, I, I do these men's retreats all over the country and I just, I just I love working with men, uh, partially because I believe if men could get some stuff figured out, 90% of the world's problems go away. Sorry, men, but that's just true. But I'll get emails about that. But anyway, so, so we have this, this, this exercise we do, this ministry called the dilemma exercise. So I call a man up and I say, so what do you want out of this retreat? What, what do you want from, for yourself? And if they've been in church for a while, they, they say something very churchy like, I'd just like to be closer to God. Well, who wouldn't, all right? Okay, sounds good, all right? So I press in. So if you were closer to God, what would you have for yourself? Well, right, what would you know? And the answers get a little bit deeper. Well, if I was closer to God, maybe I could actually feel peace, have some peace in my life. I, I actually might look in the mirror and say, you're enough. I've been wrestling with that question my whole life. I would believe that God might really actually have a plan and purpose for my life. So that's what you want for yourself. You wanna know you're enough. You wanna know, you wanna have peace. Yeah, yeah. So then I call it out. So what are the messages that are playing in your head that say, do that, go for that? Well, God does have a plan for my life. Yeah. And I can trust God. Yeah. And you can have a better life. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I actually have somebody like pull on their arm and go, and pull in that direction. God has a plan for your life. You can do this. You can have a good life. So what are the messages telling you that you cannot have it? He gets a little more somber. He goes, I don't think God can use someone like me. It's too late for me. I've, I've screwed up. What if, I, what if I do this and something bad happens and I might fail? 
and then I run those voices, and then I run both of them at the same time. You can do it, you're not good enough. You can have a good life, it's too late for you, back and forth. Does this feel like anybody else's life? So I said this, so what? If you let go of the positive voices, that you can have this life, and just went with the negative voices, what, what would happen? He's looking at me and goes, I'm stuck. Probably lose my marriage. This is all my life will ever be. I'll continue to feel empty inside. I'll, I'll keep on hurting this family like I did the last one that I screwed up. Yeah. So what happens if you, like what, what, what's at risk if you let go of all the negative voices and just went with what God's telling you to do? What's at risk then? And then the churchy answer comes back, nothing. Nothing's at risk. I could have this great, awesome life. I could follow Jesus. My, my, I mean, it, it, I, I, I could actually have the life that God meant for me to be. There would be no risk. And I look at him and go, that's not true. That's not true, because if there was no risk, you'd already have it. After some silence, so why don't, why don't you have it already? Why don't you have the life that you think God wants you to have? And the answer's changed. What if I fail? What if I go after this voice that God's saying, hey, go for it, and I discover that I can't do it, and my marriage didn't get any better, and what if I go for it, and I, I don't even know what that life would look like, and I can't control what, what might happen if I actually followed God, and then I go, oh, time out there. So in order for you to be comfortable at your life, you feel like you have to be in control of it? Yeah, and then I just point to the other side. How's that working for you? It gets really quiet. Not well. I'm gonna ask you, are you willing to look at it this weekend? Sometimes. Now hang on to that, all right? So if the price of taking hold of and experiencing something new is letting go of the old, and the reason that a person would not be willing to do that is fear of the unknown, which is rooted in fear of not being in control, then I wanna throw something out to you tonight. At the root of fear or not having control is pride. That stings. Let's just keep on going then, all right? Pride says that I can fulfill my own needs. That's the tape playing in our head. Pride says that I can take care of myself. Pride says that I don't need help. Pride says that I can control outcomes. Pride is rigid, inflexible, stubborn, arrogant, and unwilling to change or obey. Pride results in this is good enough. This is how it is. This is how it will always be. Pride is the refusal to humble oneself. Pride will keep us from experiencing forgiveness and healing and something new and better that God desires for us in our lives which would explain why so many of us, and I put myself in this category, even if we have been saved and forgiven, haven't really experienced or lived out of that place of being forgiven or being healed. I'm forgiven, I'm just not healed. It's keeping us from experiencing God's Holy Spirit awakening and reviving something new and better in our life. Technically we're saved and after our funeral we're going to heaven but nothing's gonna change for the better between now and then, which doesn't sound anything like what Jesus said he came to give you. I want you to have a full life, an abundant life, a great life, not just make it to your funeral. But if my people who are called by my name were willing to let go of pride and humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from pride and wickedness, then and not until then, God promises he'll hear from heaven. He'll hear you from heaven he'll pour out Forgiveness and healing and new things become possible. The key phrase in all that is, if you're willing. 
I don't even want to say this out loud because it's the most convicting part of my, my talk. If we are not humble, it is not because we cannot be, but because we will not be. I hate that. It's true. Okay, I, I'm, I'm almost, I want to show you a comparison or a metaphor. I'm a picture person, and Jesus was a picture person. He taught with pictures uh, to kind of explain what we're talking about. So look at this weird story that Jesus just throws in here. Luke chapter five. He says this, no one, pours, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. I'll explain all this, okay? He just didn't go off on a tangent here, okay? Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskin will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. So let me explain this, okay? And I don't know what North Carolina's like, but in Colorado, there's a brewery or a microbrewery or a winery or a cidery on every corner, we have a lot, okay? And um, so anyway, I don't know, if, so maybe that'll help you understand it, or maybe you've tried home brewing. I almost blew up our house. I, be careful, all right? But, um, but years ago when Jesus actually said this, when a person was making wine, everybody had like sheep and grapes. This is ever the Bible. Sheep and grapes, they're just everywhere over there, okay? But, but what, what would happen is when a person made wine from the grapes from their own vineyard, wow, that is in their heart, um, what they would do is they would, they would crush all the grapes, and strain them, get the juice, and then they would, they, would, they would add maybe some sugar or some yeast, all right, and they put it all, and they didn't have glass bottles or anything, and so, I can't get this out. It's killing my illustration. Um, I can't get it out. Anyway, um, but what they, what they would do is, is they would take that, that grape juice and the yeast and the sugar, and they would pour it in here, and then they would cork it. They didn't have wine or cask and stuff like that, all right? Now, uh, it was, after time, it would begin to ferment, and then if you've ever, if you're familiar with that process, then it lets off gas, right? And so it would start to swell, but it's okay, because this thing stretched with it, all right? And it would stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch, and over time, it would stretch out, and when the fermentation process was done, they would have, they would have wine there, okay? But because, again, it's made out of goat skin, it would stretch with the wine. Now, after it had stretched out with all the wine, once the skin had been stretched, it would become rigid. Stretch out, maybe you put it in, a, in the wine cellar for a, for a few years and we keep it all fresh, but after holding that shape for a long time, that's it. It was just kind of, kind of, kind of stuck. But that's okay, because it had done what it needed to do in the moment. Everything was working great, all right? The problem came after the wine had all been poured out and it was empty, someone would say, we need, to, we need to make some new wine, and they would try to reuse this. And so they would take unfermented grape juice and sugar and yeast, and they would put it in there, all right? And then it would begin to ferment and expand, and the old wineskin had already been stretched out. It wouldn't be able to contain it. It would actually split open, and all the wine would be poured out, and it would be ruined. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. Now, the reason that Jesus is telling this is not brewing tips from the Bible, okay? It's something else, all right? It's actually in response, because... The reason he told this story is religious people of that time were watching what Jesus was doing and who he was doing it with and how he was doing it and basically saying, uh, excuse me, Jesus, that's not how you do God. That's not how you do religion. That's not how you approach God um, and that's not how we've ever considered doing it. And they jumped to, you're doing it not new or different, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And then Jesus, in using this wine skin, wine, new wine into new wineskins that the old wineskins can't contain, he says this. All through the Bible, wine is used as a metaphor. 
for a lot of things. Usually wine is compared to the spirit of God moving. It's alive. Or wine is used like to say it's, it's new life. And then wineskins are used as a metaphor for, for God's people who are called by his name. Either individually, you're a wineskin, or the people, the, the, the faith community is a wineskin. So throughout the Bible, God does something new. And in this case, Jesus comes along and announces, all right, there's a new, better way to approach God. There's a new, better way to actually interact, interact with God. And it's actually open to people you've never considered it open to. It's open to sinners and people that have screwed up their lives and people that every Everybody has thrown away, it's open to them as well. Anybody who will trust them. And it's not about the old legalistic rules that of, ch- of church and synagogue and religion that we'd all grown up with. What Jesus was saying was, God is pouring out new wine through Jesus, and he wants to pour his spirit into you. But if you're not open, all you're open to is the old ways that we've always done it before, the familiar, if you're unable or unwilling to change, to flex, to stretch, you won't be able to receive what could be the best wine you've ever experienced. Jesus is saying, my spirit and my power. And he's not disregarding the past about how we grew up and the heritage of our faith. He says, well, I wanna build on the old and I wanna do something new and fresh and you're gonna miss it. Don't miss it. And I love the last sentence Jesus used there. Look at it again. No one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. And that's just true. I don't know if you drink wine or not, um, but you don't want new wine. The best wine is old wine. It's been in the cellar for like, or in a cask for years and years and years, all right? It's, you, want old, you want old wine. But here's the other thing. Every wine maker and every wine drinker here knows that for there always to be old aged better wine tomorrow and in the future, there has to be a constant supply of new wine being prepared today. And that'll take new vessels, new wineskins. We're not talking about wine, you know that, right? All right, so one, so one more thing and then about this wineskin thing, all right? And then the application, which is really intrusive, all right? Look at this, all right? Verse 38, no, new wine must be poured into, what's that word? New wineskins, and I did a word study on the word new, and it's not a good translation. It actually should be translated fresh. New wine must be poured into fresh wineskins. And here's the thing about fresh wineskins. A fresh wineskin can be like, a, like a, a brand new one, like they just killed a goat and they just sewed it together and it's, it's brand new, or it can be a reconditioned one or a refurbished one. This is where it gets good. So a, a reconditioned, refurbished wineskin is as pliable as a new one and is able to hold new wine and stretch some more. But to recondition it, an old wineskin, first of all, you have to clean it. It has to be clean. We're not talking about wineskins, so keep up, all right? Um, it's gotta be clean and washed with water. And then it has to be soaked and anointed with oil. And then it has to be kneaded and stretched and twisted until it's rejuvenated into its new, into its soft, new like ability to flex and stretch and then it's able to receive new, new, new wine. Now here's how my brain works. <laughs> Again, I'm on meds, but it's not helping. Um, <laughs> see, when I, when I read the Bible or when I look at this, I go, what if this thing had a, a voice? Go with it, right? What if this thing had a, like a voice and a mouth like, what, what kind of things would it say? I mean, this thing had, it had done a good job, you know, it had a great batch of wine back in the 
90s or whatever that is, you know, and you know, it had been on the shelf in the cellar for a long, 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 long time, and he thinks, okay, I did my job, I'm just gonna sit back, you know, and, and then one day the winemaker comes down and goes, you, and he pulls it off the shelf, and he brings it down, and he starts washing it, and the wine scene's going, hey, this is not how I thought the day would go, and then he starts rubbing oil into it, and then he starts crushing it, twisting it, I just think if that wineskin had a voice, I think it'd be something like that. Hey, 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 what are you doing? Why, why, why are you doing this to me? I don't like this. It hurts. And the reason I say that is because Jesus is not talking about wine and wineskins. He's talking about wanting to do something new and fresh in you and me. And here's why I think that's Weinstein would say that because anytime he wants to do that, my first reaction is, God, what are you doing? And why are you doing this to me? And I don't like this. I don't like this. I hate it. It hurts. Anybody else? What if God answered those questions like this? Hey, God, what are you doing? I'm getting you ready for something better. You just can't see it right now because you didn't see it coming. Okay, um, well, why, 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 why are you doing this to me? Because I love you. I want you to have something better, but you, you can't handle it right now. You can't hold it right now the way you are. But God, it hurts and I don't like it. I can't take it. God says, I know it hurts right now and I know you don't understand right now. And then he asks this really tough question. But do you trust me? And then we make a choice. Yeah, yeah, keep, keep stretching or no. And we tap out. Let's go back to earlier. The first step back in God's direction that leads to forgiveness and healing is to humble ourselves. What is that? The obedient choice to let go of the past in order to take hold of something new and better in the future. The thing that stands in the way of you and I experiencing that is pride. Pride is rigid, inflexible, stubborn, arrogant, and unwilling to change or obey. And the result is, this is all it's ever gonna be. This is good enough. I'm stuck. Now, full disclosure. For the past three years leading up to my elders putting me on mandatory timeout. It was the meeting from hell. I walked in and they walked in with envelopes. I've, I've, I've seen the show Intervention. It's going down, all right? And, uh, and they put me on a six month sabbatical and I couldn't breathe. And I think Stuck would have described my spiritual life with God and it came out sideways, how I saw everything. It came out on Robin and my family and my kids and my grandkids. It caused deep wounds in the closest people around me. It came out on everybody who trusted me and called me leader. And then, gosh, it's fresh still. Because God loved me, he took everything away from me. And when I say he took it, I mean he pried it out of my fingers. And he sat me down literally in the woods in Colorado and started washing me and anointing me with oil, trying to do what he needed to do to make me holy again. He re-sanctified me. And then he started pressing and crushing and stretching me in ways that I never imagined. That's probably what's going on with Mike right now. My response to God was, you're a bad God. What are you doing? 
And he said, I'm getting you ready for something new and good and you can't see it. And I was like, you're right, I can't see it. I look down a dark tunnel and all I see is more tunnel. God, what are you doing? I'm getting you ready for something good. Well, why, 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 why are you doing this to me? And he said, because I love you. <sighs> Thanks. And I want you to have something new and better, but you, you can't handle it. You can't have it in the shape you're in right now. And many times I cried out and I yelled at God. He's a big boy, he can take it. But it hurts. And I don't like it. And I can't take this anymore. I'm, a, I'm about to tap out. And he said, I know. I know it hurts. And I know you don't understand right now, but will you trust me? I said, yes. Can anybody relate to this? I think for the past several years, see if this, see if this I don't know Hope really well, so you guys, you guys know this place really, really well. See if anything applies, but our church, Flatterns, has been stuck. We, we took off, we did amazing things and changed the world, and all of a sudden we hit a wall And if something didn't change in me and in our church and in a lot of people in our church, I think that everything Flatirons had, had accomplished in the world, we would have missed out on what God wanted to do in the future. And in the moment, we couldn't see it and we didn't understand it and we didn't like it and we looked at God and we asked him to, to stop. Stop doing this to us. Anybody else ask him to stop? Yeah. I'm gonna say it. God is preparing this old widened skin. And we can fill in the blank there. Hope, flat irons, your family, your marriage, your relationship with your daughter, the most important part of your life that's stuck. He's preparing this old wine skin for something new and he's about to pour out and do in us and through us. And as long as we don't look back at him and say, no, no, I'm not willing to let go of the old to take hold of anything new. If we'll keep on going, if you'll keep on going, I truly believe, and I'm gonna use the words that God said to a prophet named Habakkuk. You wanna write this one down because it'll be your screensaver. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm gonna do something in your days. I'm gonna do something in your church. I'm gonna do something in your marriage. I'm gonna do something in your family. I'm gonna do something in your relationship. that you would not believe, even if you were told. If you would have told me two years ago that God was about to do in my life, I would have not only told you I don't believe you, I would have told him that would be a bad idea. Please God, don't, don't, don't do that. If you would have told me one year ago that God was gonna do what he was gonna do and what I believe he's preparing this church to do, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have told you we're not that kind of church. In my church, we hardly even mention the Holy Spirit. It's like, that's scary stuff. The Spirit's moving in our church. Is anybody else feeling it? So let me end on a really intrusive note, because that's what I like to do, and then I walk off the stage and fly away. Um, <laughs> if the key to experiencing forgiveness and healing is directly connected to a person's willingness to humble themselves, to let go of the old in order to, to take hold of something new with no conditions, it's just, I wanna, okay, I'll obey God. And if the one thing that will keep you from experience the kind of new and better life is pride, the unwillingness to change, the unwillingness to rethink. Repent just means rethink how you think about everything. If, if you're unwilling to let go of what you currently have, even though it's not working for you, here's, here's the last question, then we're gonna teach you a new song. 
What's the part of your life that God is pointing out to you right now? You don't even have to pray about it. You've been thinking about it for half an hour. What's the part of your life that God is pointing out to you right now that you need to lay it down so you can take hold of something better? And even if you don't see it or understand how it could actually work, how it could be better, I don't even see how it's possible from where I am right now. Question, are you willing to trust him? what you sense he's telling you to do because here's the thing if he really does love you then he will do whatever he needs to do to pry this thing from your fingers or you could just choose to humble yourself and get it to him here's my life God and lay it down so take it and wash it anoint it with oil do whatever you need to do in my life with us in all the parts of my life, even if it hurts, so I can be and I can receive what you want me to have. I want a new life. I want new wine. I want freedom. A few months ago, I heard a song. It kind of gave birth to this talk, and it's a, they're going to teach it to you. I, I, right now, we sing it all the time at Flatiron. It's the first time was when I gave this talk. But in the pressing and in the crushing, God's doing something. So don't curse him for it. Lean into it. Because it's because he loves you. Because on the other side is new wine. And where there's new wine, there's new power. There's new life. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. God, without apology, I want new life. I do. I want abundant life. I want a great life. I want a great marriage. I want to have a great relationship with my, my kids, Jordan and Allie. I, I want to be pop-up of the year. I want it all. I want, it, I want to stand in front of my church and go, this is Jesus, and everybody see him. I, I, want, to, I want to worship, and I want this, your spirit to not just flood the room. I want it to flood me. But in order to do that, there's some stuff in my life that's between you and I, and it's not your fault. It's mine, and I have to make a decision right now, and I'm speaking for everybody listening to my voice. We have to make a choice to to let go of the old so that we can receive something better, and that something better is you, Jesus. We need more of you, Jesus. More of your power, more of your spirit, more of your presence. So without apology, we ask for you to come into our lives even more. Because without you, we're just nothing. And I know, God, that you're listening to this prayer because we're praying it in humility and, and desperation. And your answer is, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I'm going to heal the land. I'm going to heal your land. And then peace comes and hope comes. And new life comes. All because of Jesus. It's in his wonderful name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.